I have so many shows that I want to watch right now. I really want to start this one, Midnight Mass. It looks incredible. It's just so my kind of shit. I want to catch up on Succession. I need to watch season two of the other two. So many shows, dude. So many shows. And yet, right now, I am re-watching Star Trek The Next Generation, which I have seen so many times. The episodes I love of that show, I could basically quote front to back. So there is no reason for me to be watching it again. But I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm doing these crazy hours on this production. And it's just a warm bath, that show. You know, it's just the turn my brain off and watch something kind of thing. So I'm watching TNG again. And I had this thought that... I think is the nerdiest thought any person has ever had. Ever. Okay. All right. Hit me with it. I'm I'm not saying I'm not saying that I'm super original. Uh, I I I think thousands of people have had this thought, if not tens of thousands of people. I'm just saying I think it's the nerdiest thought a person could possibly have. So, okay. you know, before you start your intro for the show, I just just want to get your thoughts on it. My thought was I was watching TNG and all of my favorite characters were hanging out in the uh, Enterprise D's bar and grill 10 forward. They're playing some three-dimensional chess. And my thought was, huh, if they played speed chess, that would add a temporal element to it. And then they would be playing four-dimensional chess. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. We are so happy to have you with us. This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television, their most memorable episodes, and their creative teams both in front of and behind the camera. I'm Phil Mitchell, and along with me is Uber nerd, Mr. Alex Sinesi. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You Thank man? you for that intro. Yeah, man, but that is not what we are doing today, actually. We are doing an emergency bonus episode, everybody. We had to talk about it. We're deep in the middle of season one of The Sopranos, our first goat season, but we we could not let this lie. We had to address it. Something that's actually topical, which is bizarre because there hasn't been any new Sopranos content in 15 years. And then boom, right in the middle of our podcast, this drops into our lap. And uh, yeah, we, we got to address it. This is a ridiculously short turnaround time for us on a podcast. These podcast episodes so far we've been releasing are musty. They're dusty. They got they got little moths crawling all over them. They got that uh, that weird smell of like your grandma's attic. But this one Off is balls. going out. This one's going out right away, though. This one's going to be like piping hot. Fresh off the grill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There we go. Uh, yeah, yeah. In this episode, we're going to be doing full spoilers for The Many Saints of Newark. And we are also going to be doing full spoilers for the entire series of The Sopranos. So if you're watching along in season one and you haven't finished the show before, please watch the whole show before you listen to this episode. Don't get mad at us. We're not going to put as many spoilers in later. But for this one, we're spoiling the shit out of everyone. All right. So I just want to go ahead and start with this. Yeah. Your one sentence reaction. My one sentence reaction. It's hard to really condense it down into one sentence, but I'm going to try here. Uh, Basically, I thought the movie was very well-crafted and well-made 
I didn't have a lot of complaints on the production side of things, but I did regret that the movie looks like poop from my butt. Okay. Wow. There is that issue with it. Really? It just it just looks like poop us, from my butt. I mean, tell us I, I don't you know really how feel. else to put it. Wow. Okay. I, okay. I, no, it's just like it's got that super aggressive Instagram filter grading it on it mm-hmm. where it looks like somebody's post of a rusty car. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. It, it's that blue green low mm-hmm. contrast shit mm-hmm. it's just like i took a picture of my brunch and i want it to look really artsy you know yeah so i wish they hadn't done that fair but uh aside from that yeah good okay. good on on a basic craft level what's okay. what's your one sentence review i would say that the many saints of new work is a film that ultimately is not equal to the sum of all of its parts And it reaffirms our belief um, that David Chase is at his best when he's working with long form serial television and not a two hour movie. I I think Taylor, I think his direction is great. I think the casting with with two exceptions, I think the casting is good. Mm -hmm. I think the performances from the main characters are decent, but I think the writing that's to me, I think that just the story itself and the writing is to me where it falls off. Yeah, I, I feel very strongly in agreement about the whole it being less than the sum of its parts, for sure. Because um, I, I think most of the scenes are good. Yeah. And I agree, like most of the actors in it are good, or mm-hmm. they're at least acting well. Mm-hmm. But it, it just has a very odd relationship with the show that right. it's ostensibly expanding upon. It doesn't really feel like it has a huge connection in terms of its style or its thematics. It's more like telling its own story, but with sort of fan service appearances from characters you like, Mm -hmm. which is so strange because I think of The Sopranos as such an aggressively unsentimental show. I think of it as being so much a show that lives in the present and is working very hard to sort of defy and frustrate your expectations while also delivering something completely new and hypnotizing. And it's such an example of of the media of its era. It's such an example of the stories that were being told at the time. Uh, and it's, it's the first one, it's the pioneer of these like anti-heroic characters who are driving forward a plot with their own charisma sort of. And then you look at the many saints of Newark and I feel like this movie is coming into a totally different media landscape that it feels very much a part of already. Mm-hmm. It feels like the sort of diffuse ensemble genre thing that has become the norm now it feels like a limited series that's been condensed into two hours i would agree you know it doesn't at all feel like a movie to me really yeah and unfortunately i think what you just said a little while ago it it doesn't add anything and we might get to this later but it does not add anything to the the six seasons that came before it and that's what i think is uh most unfortunate about it but before i dunk all over it yeah what do we like about it I mean, it's like you you were saying, there's there's a lot to recommend about like individual scenes, I feel like. I would say my favorite aspect of the movie, unquestionably the breakout star of this movie, is uh, Michaela de Rossi, 
who mm-hmm. plays uh, Giuseppina. Yeah. I think she's awesome. Yeah. Every scene she's in, she brings so much energy to it. She's actually funny, and her character isn't that funny, but she's right. funnier than pretty much anybody else in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's just because she has so she has so much charisma, dude. Mm-hmm. She's she's popping so much in every single scene. And I really enjoyed watching her. I thought yeah. she was awesome. She was a great discovery. There's one moment she has in particular that I really want to call attention to, which is after she walks out of the dining room of her apartment with Dickie after this like big fight they have, she throws this towel over her shoulder and it's such an exaggerated snap of the wrist throw. It's mm-hmm. so Italian and <laughs> I love it so much. I think that was something I was missing from a lot of the other actors' performances is I thought they were doing well, but they didn't feel authentic in the way that the cast of the original series did. I feel yeah. like she was maybe the only one who's bringing an authentic energy to it. A thought I kind of had along those lines too was the movie sort of weirdly made plain to me how how much more assimilation there's been of Italian Americans in this country. Mm-hmm. We're looking at a lot of actors now who are like two or three generations removed from the characters they were they're playing. Right. Who were played by people who are already a generation or two out in the original show. And it's like, now they don't have that energy anymore, Mm -hmm. man. It's like when they act in an Italian fashion, it feels put on Mm. in a way it never did in the Mm -hmm. show. It's funny, like Nivola isn't that much younger than the original series actors. I mean, he's maybe a little younger, but not by much at all. But when he says like, oh, it just, it, does not ring true every time he does something like that i kind of wince and like yeah. i think his performance overall is quite strong yeah, you know I think it's solid uh but there was just something about him where i was like this guy doesn't feel like he would be comfortable walking into a big italian family dinner and like breaking balls and stuff like that and that energy is just the thing that the series had in spades i agree yeah i think like what's working for me i think you said that you don't like the directing i think the directing oh no no i, I you do like it oh, okay, i, I like right. the directing i i think the grading of the shots is okay. really really bad okay that all was right. all i i think i think it's not even the cinematography i thought the movie was shot fine i think yeah. it just looks so ugly because of the way it was processed and post the, the i think the directing is great i think the cinematography great I would agree with you um, some of the way that the processing yeah. that I remember, especially towards the end, like the scene on the beach is a particularly striking example of like the over, like the Instagram filter uh, yeah. that you're talking about. I definitely remember thinking about that. It's because there's such direct lighting in right. that scene that it it really blows it out and right. makes it look weird. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's a whole rant I could go on. the The reason yeah, they do, do this, don't do it. Okay, don't do okay. It. No rants. <laughs> I'll just I'll just say real quick that it's just it's it was shot digitally. It was shot on the Alexa, and they do that to everything now mm. to give something a filmic look without applying grain. Gotcha. Because the low contrast gives you that kind of more atmospheric sort of hazy look mm-hmm. that film grain does mm-hmm. so they just they do that every time now it drives me crazy i'm like just put grain on it dude if you're shooting on digital like honestly that's better than this because this just it, it's the instagram filter look that's that's it 
anyway. clearly you have strong opinions about sorry that. sorry get back to what you liked about it clearly <laughs> well, i just want to start yeah. complaining. you just wanted to start complaining. Yeah, yeah. that's all it was mm-hmm. um no i i like everyone's i like just about everyone's performances there's two people that i think were uh-huh. maybe I think one I person one specifically is there's miscast. one yeah there's yeah. definitely one yeah um it'd be funny to see if we're thinking about the same person i bet we are um the performances overall i think are great mm-hmm. um I thought Vera Farmiga and the small amounts that she was given mm. did a pretty decent job as Livia. Um, there's certain parts where she is bringing her own interpretation to the character that I think works. And then there's also sometimes where you just realize, oh, she is just kind of like doing her best to inhabit Nancy Marchand. And she does a good job. Yeah, I thought Michael Gandolfini, I even thought he was pretty good. Um, yeah. It's kind of weird to see Tony Soprano with feathered, beautiful hair. Um, <laughs> but I think he does a very, very good job. I think the cast overall is solid. Yeah, um, let's let's yeah. get back to Gandolfini in a mm-hmm. bit because he's sure. he's a major, huge, huge part of this movie and mm-hmm. and sort of the expectations resting on it and all mm-hmm. of that. Um, and, I uh, I liked his performance too. Yeah, I did too. I think this is probably the most advanced nuanced thoughtful portrayal of black americans throughout the entire run of this of this show let's just <laughs> that be honest. is a low, a low bar, bar. Yes, it is. that you've set there and so then to see chase actually attempt to um, create a character and create a series of characters that had some depth that were beyond just stereotypes um, and then also cast good actors in those roles i thought was great I really like that. I I actually, as far as other standouts go, I thought Corey Stoll did an amazing job as junior. Really? Oh man. I really liked him. I thought he was not playing junior as an impression and he, he was just sort of playing a person. And I, I thought he did much better than the actors who were really trying to channel a different performer and is as a result felt more like i don't know epcot An center animatronic yeah. stand-ins of the so interesting okay, so you so think we... he was miscast i did he is the one person oh I was miscast, shit man. yeah interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay okay that? yeah let's get into that okay, so again yeah. and i have nothing against Corey stoll i think he's a fantastic actor i loved him in what was it house of cards thought he was great sure. And I understand that he is playing a character that is very, uh, he's a youthful junior, but Corey Stoll, like whenever I see him on camera, he's a large presence. He's an imposing presence. He's very tall. He's tall. Um, And it immediately makes you think, is everyone from this generation four feet tall? Like, was there something in the water that caused them to all? Exactly. And so like, I think he's, he is doing his best with what he's given. And I don't think Uh his performance is bad by any means. He just does not inhabit the sort of feckless, unscrupled physicalities that I would expect from someone who would be portraying Junior Soprano. I mean, Dominic Chianese is a hard act to follow, no agreed, question. Agreed. We're we're gonna get back into him heavy next week with Boca, yes. which uh, is interestingly, I think, referenced in this movie a little bit. I think you it know, is. did you get that? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, okay. So as far as him being so tall, I did think it was interesting that he fucks up his back. two thirds of the way through this movie. So it's like, oh, is it that he was a taller guy and he has 
back problems, scoliosis, whatnot, like issues from this injury to mm -hmm. where now he's like almost bent and hunched mm -hmm. over. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought maybe that's what they were going for, for that. And then also, of course, that because he uh, injured his back and he can't uh, uh, fulfill his marital duties, so to speak, he uh, ends up becoming a master kind of linguist as a result. <laughs> it seems to be what they were going for there. Subtle, subtle reference, but I really loved that. <laughs> oh, Junior. Yeah. Oh, oh Junior. <laughs> we'll get into this much more next week. Don't worry. I love that guy. <laughs> yeah. So, so he was your big miscasting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, there are some other. He is the character that I think is most central to the story that I think is is miscast. Mm -hmm. Interesting. What would you say? The one who really bumped for me was uh, John Magaro as Silvio yeah, Dante, Silvio Dante. Yeah. who basically the first thing I had seen him in was that movie last year, First Cow, which I oh, yeah. fucking loved. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was incredible in that. Mm -hmm. I mean, really beautiful, understated performance. I think the problem is that Stephen Van Zandt is so singular. I mean, we never stop talking about this, but he, he's- Miami Steve. <laughs> Miami Steve is just a presence that cannot be replicated. I and agree. him trying to do so, it always feels super off to me. I, I don't even throw shade on him so much. It's just a really tough thing. I, you know? I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, the guy who plays Polly too, I thought Billy Magnuson, yeah. not super familiar with him, but I don't know. He was doing less of an impression, but there was nothing really, there's no weight. Yeah. No, no it weight. just felt like, Oh, okay. They threw Polly in the scene just to have it be like some kind of nostalgic charge. Mm -hmm. And uh, that kind of just gets back to like the fact that it's weird, even though this is a dark story and it certainly talks about like a dark chapter in American history and it's very like pessimistic about the fates of all of its characters. Mm -hmm. This movie still has a sentimentality to it. It can't, help but have it because of the ground that it's covering you know mm -hmm. the characters it's revisiting and that's so different from the show this movie has such an odd relationship with the show it, it just feels like a completely different thing i would agree i would also say i feel like there's a little bit of retconning going on as well like i don't mm. know if you noticed this as well like there was mm. this scene where i think it is junior and um johnny soprano get arrested at the the circus or the fair. Yeah, and, yeah. And um, Janice is the one who, you know, she's crying and, and Tony right. has seen this from afar. And they recreate that scene from Down Neck. They like, do. Exactly. And yeah, if yeah. I remember correctly, in Down Neck, Johnny returns home the same night, if I remember right. correctly. But in this, you know, in this film, he mm -hmm. doesn't. In fact, he yeah. gets sentenced off to jail and doesn't come home for what feels like years later. Did right. you notice that? I forgot that he made bail on the uh -huh. show uh -huh. and was instantly around. Whereas in this, I mean, it seems like it was definitely part of a concentrated effort to keep Johnny out of the spotlight so that Dickie mm -hmm. could be the father figure to Tony. Mm -hmm. I do think that's interesting, though. Yeah, that they, they retcon that. And they specifically said Johnny did not make bail. Yeah, yeah. And that's why he went down, which doesn't make sense that he wouldn't make bail, really. Don't get it. That's interesting. Okay, so here's the thing. So I was so excited about Bernthal and kind of like Livia, maybe even more so, he doesn't have a huge presence in this movie. 
his role doesn't really amount to much. Nope. Which I was disappointed with. Much more so I was disappointed that Livia basically doesn't have a function in the story. Yeah. Um, and that we don't see any sort of cunning Machiavellian planning, anything mm. from her, really. That bummed me out. But with Johnny, so Bernthal is such a gifted physical actor, I think. And he's so at ease in a scene he he just he radiates this very intense energy yeah. i mean we all know we've all seen john bernthal and shit but like watching him i was like should he have played dicky yes yeah yes he should yeah. have played dicky mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and so this is and it, go ahead before i hop in and say i have a larger point there but go ahead yeah so i mean i was just struck by that because the thing about nivola is i think he's a very strong actor i think he has chops for days sure the funny thing is like i was looking at his letterboxed page and it was full of faded tiles you know what i mean Uh, like it was full of movies i have seen mm -hmm. and i did not remember him at all interesting he has basically made a career out of not popping in good movies he's the guy that you've seen before yeah like if you remember him at all honestly and in this he's playing this very difficult character where He's supposed to be incredibly charismatic. He's supposed to be this formative character in Tony's life. But I think there's a certain disconnect of charisma. There's a certain disconnect of lovability Mm -hmm. that James Gandolfini had in spades that I don't get from this guy. And so for me, it's like all of the violent moments in his story stand out a lot more. And Mm -hmm. you kind of feel like he's just a repulsive person, Mm -hmm. really. All right. But yeah, I'm I'm sorry. No, 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 no. no. I feel like I stepped on your leg. No, no, no. This is my point. This is the thing I thought was probably the biggest problem with the film. We might as well just talk about like what it is that is just not working for us. Um, But this is what it is. The film opens with Michael Imperioli talking about and sort of reminiscing from from the beyond, from hell, essentially, and looking back on the lives of, you know, the people that were in his family growing up. It ends with a memorable line, which is, that's Tony Soprano, my uncle. That's the guy I went to hell for, which is, I think, a really great line. It's very tragic. It's very ominous. Yeah. But this is the thing. Instead of having or setting up this contrast between Harold McBrayer, played by Leslie Odom Jr., um, and Alessandra Nivola, um, who plays Mm -hmm. Dickie, Shouldn't the rival have been Junior? Shouldn't the rival have been the rivalry have been between Junior and Dickie Moltisanti and their influence, their differing influences on Tony mm-hmm. and how that fell out onto Christopher as opposed yeah. to it being Dickie and this other guy, you know, who again, a great character, but really doesn't have too much influence um, onto the show whatsoever. You see what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, it's weird. I think Odom's very good also. He is. He's great. I think most of the actors in this are doing really strong work. Mm-hmm. It's more that it's this weird thing where David Chase said he's had this obsession with the North Jersey riots since he was young. He right. saw them happening, you know, on live TV and that really stuck with him. Uh, apparently like one of the first scripts that he tried to get made in the 90s before The Sopranos was a story of a bunch of white kids who essentially enlist to go to Vietnam and instead they become part of the National Guard and are sent to the right Jersey to the... riots. Wow. 
that was like an idea he had had. So this has been a persistent obsession for him mm -hmm. to get that in there. And I think that's where the character of Harold gets gets created. I think it's weird that the riots happen in the first act of the movie, though. Right, right. And as a result, it's like that happens. And then a rivalry is spawned kind of concurrent with that. And after that, between him and Dickie Moltisanti. And ultimately, the rivalry is meaningless because yeah. Junior kills Dickie exactly. and Harold becomes a successful businessman who has no connection to the Italian exactly. mob. It's like, so what it's was like, the point? What's what the was deal? The point? What was right. the point of this guy? Right. Like, that's why I felt like it, it should have focused more on Junior yeah. because the, the tension that happens within the show is between Junior and Tony. Yeah. And how wonderful would it have been to essentially see Tony be influenced by this wonderful, warm, like caring guy who is mm -hmm. Dickie Moltisanti. Preferably played preferably by John Byrne. Yeah. Um, and then be pulled back into mob life because in the film, it seems like Tony is done with mob life, but it seems almost as though the way that Chase has written it, Tony gets pulled back into mob life because of the fact that Dickie Moltisanti dies. And yeah. to me, that idea would have been made more prominent. I think it, it's a little bit more uh, emotional if you had the contrast of Junior on the other side, mm -hmm. which, you know, yeah, they, they don't have that. Instead, there's just this rivalry that has no bearing onto the, the actual show. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they wanted Junior to be a sucker punch in the movie, essentially, yeah. that he's the one who ends up murdering Dickie over feeling slighted. But I think you're right that they might have missed a more rich thematic conflict mm -hmm. by sidelining him so much for mm -hmm. a conflict that doesn't really relate uh just to go back real quick okay okay so i for the listeners uh, you're gonna hear this out of order i just recorded a spoiler warning to insert at the beginning of the episode the reason i'm doing this is because obviously we're spoiling the shit out of this movie and we're also going to spoil the shit out of the series because i just have to say right now tony soprano is so dead he is so 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 dead and this movie is all about david chase just cock teasing us with the fact that he is dead where he's like i'm not gonna come out and say it i'm not gonna say what everybody thinks i'm gonna say but i'm gonna hint the shit out of it with this, like, I, I mean, he's he's ridiculous. He's yeah. so extra about it. Yeah. From the very first shot where a new grave is being dug mm -hmm. to Holston's Diner, which is the diner from the last episode of the show. Mm -hmm. The last time you see young Tony is him right in front of Holston's Diner. Mm -hmm. Right before Tony learns the news that Dickie has been killed, he's standing again inside of Holston's Diner. Yes, the place where he gets killed at the yep. end of the series. Yep. And also when Dickie makes the pinky swear to him, Tony says to him, I don't want to go out like that. I don't yeah. want to get shot in the back. Yeah. And Dickie says, that's not going to happen as long as I'm around. <laughs> so can we put it to bed people, please? Can we put it to bed that dead. Tony Soprano does not survive the end of the show? He's so dead. <sighs> 
Okay. It feels great. It feels great. Good to have that off your chest. We talked about this in an earlier episode and I went back and I cut it all out because I'm like, people are going to be enraged if they, if they ever get around to listening to this podcast, if this podcast reaches any new listeners who have not seen this show, they're going to, you know, invoke their fucking warranty. They're going to want their money back. I mean, not really. They're just going to shit talk us as, as we deserve. Because we're just, we love to spoil everything. We love to spoil shows we're not even talking about. It's great. We do it all the time. But yes, this movie is is very much like telegraphing how Tony does not survive the end of the series. So just just had to get that off my chest, you know? What did you think about Michael Gandolfini? I really liked him. Okay, so I just I watched too. the movie again this morning. I've seen it twice now, and... I appreciated his performance even more on Mm -hmm. the rewatch. The first time through, I was a little worried. The expectations on this kid were so high. The pressure of taking on this role, I'm sure was just immense. He talks about it a little bit. But watching it at first, I was like, oh, he's like smiling so much in these scenes. Mm -hmm. He just kind of has this like happy to be here energy. Mm -hmm. And I was a little worried he wasn't actually going to give a performance. And I think... Toward the end of the movie, his performance is really strong. It's great. To the point where watching the early scenes now, I'm like, oh no, what they were telegraphing is that he used to just be a normal kid. He's a normal kid. He's really a sweet Mm -hmm. kid. A smart kid too. He has a lot of potential. They bring that up many times. And this is basically the story about how he got to the point of taking his first step Mm -hmm. into the criminal life, which is odd that it's set that early mm-hmm. and that it ends so far before any other formative events. It's kind of like the Phantom Menace where it's like the main character in our Greek tragedy is going to be five years old for this whole movie. <laughs> it's like, why, why did you do that? Why did you set this so early? <laughs> and then they basically have to reset in the next movie and it's all meaningless. So basically, uh, you know, Tony, he's got a bit of Anakin syndrome going on. He really he's a little does. Jake Lloyd in this. I mean, <laughs> God forbid that Michael Gandolfini has any sort of a critical reaction backlash approaching Jake Lloyd. I can't imagine it would ever happen. You know, there's a little of that going on. I think his performance is great. I think one of the things that, again, this is back to the writing, which is I don't feel like this movie knows who its uh, protagonist is. Yeah. Is it Dickie? More Phantom Menace problems. Yeah. Is it Dickie? (laughs) Right. Is it Tony? Is it Harold Mm -hmm. McBrayer? Is it any one of these three guys? Is it all of them? I have no idea. It's weirdly, like, resolutely not johnny boy soprano Mm -hmm. which is odd because you could easily picture the movie where he is the protagonist and that would make a lot of sense Mm -hmm. but apparently um tom fontana the creator of oz who i guess is a friend of david chase's i think he also just like works with hbo a lot so he kind of like maybe they put a bee in his bonnet and he took the news over to chase but he had talked to chase about doing a Sopranos prequel movie set around Johnny and Chase just completely rejected that. He was not wow. interested at all. Wow. And that was like late 2000s, the first time they sort of, there were first like rumors that a Sopranos movie was really going to happen, you know? It's so strange. It is strange. It's strange for sure. And yeah, it's odd with Michael Gandolfini. I think like you're saying, I think he's good. I think it would have made more sense if he was not a character at all in this movie, if mm-hmm. he was just 
in the background of shots mm -hmm. and it was like oh yeah you know we're just slipping in that tony soprano is here while all this is happening or it would have made more sense if he really was the protagonist and the movie sort of falls in between yeah where it it's like work. with the amount that they used him he should be more central but he's not mm -hmm. and interestingly along those lines so they shot this movie in 2019 and it was supposed to come out in 2020 and then they were going to do some last minute reshoots in March of 2020. So those got backed up by the pandemic mm -hmm. and they didn't finish shooting the movie until September of last year. Wow. And a lot of the stuff they shot was with Michael Gandolfini. Interesting. The reshoots included the scene with him and Carm where he gets in that fight with his friend mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that sort of first time he shows a little bit of aggression. Right. And also the scene of him and Holston's waiting to get mm -hmm. them like before he knows that Dickie is dead. Mm -hmm. So it's like they went back and added a lot of like late movie Tony being a little moodier, having a little more Tony Soprano energy. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason for that is because they were so afraid of having him impersonate tony or be gangster like at all right. that they just had him be a normal kid in the original cut and then they were like oh he's good and this doesn't really work right let's just foreshadow it a little bit yeah. and i'm like you guys should have foreshadowed it a lot more like why not <laughs> what the fuck are we doing here you know uh, uh, i get it i get it yeah it's funny man huh. yeah there's a lot of interesting stuff uh, Michael Gandolfini has said about taking on this role. The most interesting to me was he said that he had never watched The Sopranos. And yeah. when yeah. he was cast, he binged the entire series, mm -hmm. a process that he describes as intense yes and i'm course. like i fucking bet that was <laughs> literally binge watching the life's work of your late father in preparation for playing this titanic character like holy shit dude yeah that's crazy because the thing is james gandolfini died when he was 14 years old he died at literally the exact time when this kid probably would have started having an interest in his father's career watching that show being able to process that show mm -hmm. to any extent like that was kind of right that time and then his dad dies tragically yeah. very young yeah. he's only 51 years old dude it's yeah. fucking crazy so obviously like then the idea of you know watching this show your dad was in just becomes like totally repellent i mm -hmm. imagine for many many years mm -hmm. and uh then yeah he gets the role and boom he's got to see all of the sopranos <laughs> like oh my god i can't even imagine dude what an experience um but yeah i think he's really good i he's hope great. he does more stuff i, I yeah i i would i like the idea of seeing him in more stuff more movies Me in the too. future he's great yeah here's a question for you yeah chase i think is on record as having said i would like to make another sopranos movie a soprano story do you think he should or shouldn't oh another one after this yeah. i actually think it would be good i think i think the next one might be better mm. if as we're saying it gets more into the stuff that we already know and mm -hmm. they might be able to course correct on some of the stuff where they didn't mm -hmm. there's just so much pressure on this movie and I don't think it was a resounding success, but at the same time, I don't think it was a failure along the lines of, say, the Deadwood movie, which no. to me was just like a total letdown that was way too sentimental, that didn't feel like the show at all, but was also like, this is like the next episode of the show that we didn't get to make. And you watch it and you're like, well, 
that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Nobody would have accepted that as the season three finale, you know, whereas this, I think is like so different. It's so separated that it's like, at most it didn't really hurt. And maybe, maybe the next one could improve upon the formula, you know, now that they've kind of got the the knife away from their windpipe, you know, Mm -hmm. a friend of mine, uh, blue, shout out to blue she uh raked us over the coals in a an episode previous for uh saying that there were like basically no successful movies that followed the ends of like big tv shows of course uh fire walk with me i completely oh, spaced yeah. on mm-hmm. i guess my my excuse there is just that the return kind of fries my brain yeah. as far as that being a movie continuation because then they went back and Mm -hmm. did another tv continuation but she's Mm -hmm. totally right on that and then uh the other thing would just be i mean wrath of khan which yeah yeah. huge success i like i was saying earlier i love star trek the next generation so much and to me star trek's place was always on television Mm -hmm. like those those original cast movies are fine but like they're all kind of trying to be old man action movies that happen to star characters from a show that you already like. And to me, like until the series came back, it it never really fulfilled the promise of Star Trek again, in my opinion. But I mean, a lot of people love Wrath of Khan. So, you know, and I just forgot about it anyway. So I'm a fucking idiot. Don't worry about it. (laughs) But yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I think this was reasonably successful falls kind of in the middle there, you know, there was a lot to like, but there was also a lot to to quibble with, you know? Mm-hmm. It's funny, like Ray Liotta in this movie. So Oof. oh yeah, we're gonna go. Okay. We we gotta go there. Do we we gotta to go, go there. there. Okay. So he was like the one guy from Goodfellas right. who <laughs> Chase did not pluck at the time for his show. And he wanted him to play Ralph. He pursued oh, him Cifaretto. okay, yeah, Ralph a lot Cifaretto. to play Ralph Cifaretto. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I think Leota pretty wisely was like, uh, you know, I'm trying to stay out of that exact lane and the Goodfellas comparisons are going to be so intense. And he passed and he was also like, and I think they totally found the right guy for that yeah. role, which, you know, hey, Leota, he seems like a, a real, a real decent guy there, mm-hmm. you know? And then he comes into this. And the funny thing about this movie is I think he's really good as Sal, yes. Sally, yeah. Moltisanti. I think the scenes where he's in prison are fantastic, yep. but they're totally kneecapped by the fact that he's playing the twin, the twin brother yeah. of another character who mm-hmm. is just terrible, mm-hmm. who is just a Completely complete nightmare, reprehensible. reprehensible, ridden with cliches, and he has about five pounds of ground beef on his face, so you just you can't take him seriously <laughs> at all. <laughs> And he doesn't do anything. He doesn't, he do, doesn't anything. do anything. Like, I think he, what's his, his name is like Hollywood, Hollywood. Hollywood Monsanti? Dick. Hollywood yeah. Dick, thank you. Yeah, he just shows up. I thought that was really funny. Did you notice um, when Vera Faminga says his name at the funeral, she's like, Hollywood <laughs> Dick. And the way she says it isn't like Hollywood Richard. Right. It's like, it's like Hollywood cock is yep. the emphasis she put on it, which I thought was really funny. Uh, uh, even at the funeral, she's just uh, going hard. <laughs> <laughs> that character hollywood dick yeah. is nothing but like uh, mafia uh tropes all rolled up into into one just, person and, he's and just so, a trope enchilada of he course really is. of course yeah. and so when you, he's gone, <laughs> a ground beef covered <laughs> trope enchilada <laughs> and so you know he's gonna die very very quickly yeah. like he shows up with like the pretty girlfriend and you're like okay mm-hmm. 
You think he's just it's, gonna have a heart attack he's just fucking gonna, her? Of but, course, you know. of yeah, course. Yeah. And, and, all right, and here's the other side a sidebar here, which is: Does no one think it's weird that Dickie Moltisanti is doing it to his his father's wife? No one thinks that's weird. Nobody even like razzes him about yeah. it at all. Yeah, and it's the most edible shit in the it world. It really is. He, he kills goes... his father so he can fuck <laughs> his replacement mother, which is uh, is a lot. Honestly, yeah. that part is really a lot. Yeah. And I don't know. You know, that's kind of my thing with Dicky Moltisanti. Is it's like he's supposed to be this guy who everyone likes, but he does these horrible Shakespearean tragedy things. Mm-hmm. And then the moments where he's supposed to be charming, he's like marginally charming. Yeah. So I mostly come away thinking he's despicable. I feel like halfway through the movie or maybe three fourths of the movie, they try to throw in the idea that he is tortured and or uncomfortable with these decisions that he's making, these moral quandaries. Right. But like for the first three parts of this film, the first like, you know, two acts, that is not on the table at all. He seems perfectly okay with behaving badly and only up until like three-fourths of the way through the film is he sort of like oh my gosh maybe i shouldn't be doing these things maybe i actually want to be a good person who like influences people to like do good things and you're just, it, that falls flat for me yeah and especially after he kills uh Giuseppino, which right is like totally a point of no return as far as sympathy goes for this character i mean they push him further away from any sort of audience sympathy than i think even any character on the original show in the space of a single scene you have him scream the n-word and then Mm -hmm. drown this beautiful incredibly charming woman in the ocean and uh you're just like yeah fuck this guy and fortunately the rest of the movie is basically just him being like i'm a piece of shit i need to keep this kid away from me and then he dies thus fulfilling that ambition but yeah it is it is weird um So I have a question for you along these lines. This kind of didn't hit for me until I watched the movie again, but there's a moment where he's outside the Newark riots. He's in his car and a brick gets thrown at his car and it hits him in the head. And shortly after that, he murders his father. And I was wondering if the idea there was that he had a traumatic brain injury, which he didn't treat, which caused him to have some of this violent impulse come out. I wonder if it's sort of a thing where it's like Chase is doing a thing like with Tony, how he has a neurological condition that is messing with his ability to be the guy he wants to be, that that same thing's happening here, but in a negative way no, more for Dicky. You don't I, think that's it? To me, Chase is always more about like the spiritual and the soul and yeah. that being the battleground for you know decision-making Mm -hmm. Um, And that is what damns you or ends up saving you. And so for him to bring in like an organic injury as the cause of like a person's, you know, Mm -hmm. moral damnation just seems really out of place for him. So I'm not sure. I I, I can't see him writing something like that. I wasn't sure. I was 50-50 on it. It's just such a pointed thing that they throw that in there. And then he has that head injury Mm -hmm. like all through the following scenes and he seems to act so impulsively in his Mm -hmm. violence, you know, where I wondered if that was maybe part of the issue, but I mean, kind of like we've been saying this whole time, like Nivola, I think he's a very good actor. I wouldn't in any way begrudge him getting more work off of this movie, but I think he just wasn't quite right for the kind of character they were 
trying to pull off. See, that's interesting. I yeah. would say I think they just didn't give him enough meat to chew on. Maybe maybe it's a little column A, a little yeah. column B. Mm-hmm. But uh, give him yeah, some I mean... gabagool, guys. <laughs> oh, you can't give him gabagool, man. <laughs> You can't. That's right. That's because right. Alessandro Nivola That's... is allergic to gabagool. I know. Another example. This dude's not authentic. He's never had gabagool. <laughs> Come on. You're going to hire uh... somebody who has never had the taste of gabagool <laughs> on his lips? Get the fuck out of here. Oh, my gosh. Any other thoughts on many saints? Okay. So I guess just the last thing. Um, it's so strange that this movie has a mid credit scene. It's so odd. Oh, and yeah. What I, was that? I feel like that speaks to how this movie feels like it's trying to catch up with a new paradigm instead of bringing you back to the old paradigm of The Sopranos. The mid credit sequence almost makes it seem like he forgot that Harold McBrayer existed. And then he's like, oh, <laughs> oh, wait, we forgot about this guy. He's it's okay. not a good look. It's, it's not, not a good look at all to no. throw it in there yeah. once Wake Up This Morning has already started and we're already in that great moment of sort of resolution after that last awesome line from Imperioli. And yeah, it just it's just a kind of weird clunk right when we were starting to get some good vibes off the thing Mm -hmm. yeah really strange yeah i I thought that was odd too i guess i I would like to talk about alan taylor a little bit too before we wrap up Uh, i thought he was an interesting choice chase had a really good quote about him (laughs) you love that quote i love this quote so so chase hired him to direct and taylor had said you know i felt a little trepidation about stepping in because working on that show was tough and i didn't know exactly what the collaboration would be like and i wonder exactly why chase went to him before like alan coulter or tim van patten or any of these other directors who i think directed better episodes personally Mm -hmm. than taylor did but uh, Chase said, uh, of all the directors on The Sopranos, the good ones, of which he was one, I argued with him more than any of them. And yet, <laughs> he did some of my favorite episodes. <laughs> so it's just a typical Chase thing of him being like, this fucking guy just <laughs> had me ripping my fucking hair out <laughs> the whole time. But, you know, he didn't fuck up too bad. So I brought him back in. <laughs> and it's like, why Why did you do this? Did you do this perhaps because the other guys were like, life's too short, you know? Who knows? There's definitely just a sadomasochism in that quote, right? <laughs> yeah, right. This was a terrible experience, but just bring more of it on. I yes. need it and I want it. Right. I need a director who I'm going to fight with on exactly. set. Absolutely. Dude, why? <laughs> and I think about the episode we just talked about that Taylor did, Pax Soprana, and mm-hmm. it's like, a very good episode with a lot of good performances. He gets really good work out of all the actors. But I remember that episode feeling a little unfocused. Yeah, It felt a little fragmented and like there wasn't a clear through line, like it didn't have a solid middle. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that's an issue that does come up again in this this movie. So yeah. maybe yeah. it's a little of him too. Who I don't knows? know. Time will only tell. We'll just wait for but, more quotes uh, from uh, Chase. We'll see. We'll just be breathlessly anticipating. And right. I'm sure even as we go on to cover other shows, we're going to throw in a few more of his uh, turd idea. nuggets of wisdom. <laughs> David spills the tea. That he hurls at all of his friends. Yes. 
go watch it. It's on HBO, you know, right there to be streamed. And I'm such a movie theater guy. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about the theatrical experience. I love it. I've been back to the movies a ton. I've had a great time. Yeah. I mean, that being said, it would just feel weird to watch it in, yeah. in, the, theater. in the theater. I, I was like, yeah. this is something I need to be watching at home yeah. on my couch on HBO. It wouldn't feel right otherwise, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I never even considered that. Yeah, this would be like watching a Sopranos story in the theater and how strange that would be to do so. And that's how Chase wanted it, too. He was like, we absolutely made this as a theatrically released movie. And I look at it and I'm like, this does not feel like a theatrical <laughs> movie, no. really. Uh, it really has television vibes. I would say um, so. Yeah. yeah. What are you, you going to do? I, I thought there was interesting stuff in it. I don't think it in any way compromises the legacy of the show no uh, which is probably the best thing one could say about it mm -hmm. and uh i do think that who knows you know if he decides to make more of these they actually could improve upon this formula i i do believe that david chase signed a uh five-year first look deal with hbo okay. so okay. it's very likely we'll be getting more stuff from him along these lines interestingly i found out you know anytime you hear this about these first look deals it's always like oh man this awesome director's hooked up with the studio now and they're just going to let him make whatever he wants or whatever she wants. Happens. No, because the whole point in these deals is actually to lock somebody down so they don't go and make shit for your competitors. Right. And so this is HBO literally being like, Chase, you're not making any more of these independent movies. If you're making anything else, you're making a Sopranos movie for us. For All us. right. Yep. That's exactly. <laughs> yeah. It. Yeah. Oh, man, I would be perfectly fine if they don't make any more Sopranos stories. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. with you there. Yeah, I felt like watching this, I was like, I didn't really need this. Mm -hmm. I don't really need another one. There was interesting stuff to complain about, sure, but I wouldn't say I left it being like angry about no. it. I'm not, I'm not mad at it. I didn't catch feelings from this thing, which, yeah, it's both good and bad. I guess that's the, the diagnosis in the end is yeah. I didn't catch feelings. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know if that's, is that a good or bad thing? It's neutral at <laughs> it's best. It's neutral at best. <laughs> yeah. First time we ever reviewed a movie on Goat Season. I'm sure there will be many more. So uh, we think uh, we're doing a little name that episode. You know, I'm not ready for this. Oh, but you know you want to, though. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> well, you know I want to. I know you do. You have to wait until And right time. now I don't really care about what you want. <laughs> wait until next time. <laughs> no, no, come on. Let's do one real quick. Oh my god, okay, all right. Dude, we could do like, do a synopsis of a movie out of a long-running series, and you have to name it, you know? Oof. Okay. We got. We could do the movie version. See what I'm saying? I mean, okay. the immediate things I think oh, of are we're just trying to Godzilla, oh my god. James Bond, and yeah. the MCU. The MCU is probably too easy, That's but too easy. you know, yeah. Hmm. A long-running series. I mean, there's not too many of those. I mean, well... Those are the two that jump out. I mean, there's yeah. Zatoichi too, but I could not do a single Zatoichi movie, honestly. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Yeah. They made like 28 of those. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> all right, give me a second. All right, here we go. Oh, all right. Name that episode of a franchise, name a.k.a. That name that movie. Mm -hmm. mm. All right. I can't say any character names because that would give it away. Sure. But here we go. In this movie, the main characters plan a heist to steal 100 million from a corrupt businessman while being pursued 
for arrest by the U.S. Diplomatic Security Service. The main characters are trying to steal $100 million. Mm-hmm. And it's a long-running franchise. Yes, it is. They're pursued by the Diplomatic Security Service. Security Service. Huh. Well, this is good. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, was this movie made before the 1990s? No. How many how many entries are there in this franchise? I can't tell you that. Oh, son of a bitch. Yeah, nice try. <laughs> nice try. Oh. Okay. So how many how many like leads are there? Like kind of above the title on the poster, you know? Oh, there's so mm. many. Oh, oh no. Too many. Yeah. Too many. Too many. It's a real ensemble piece, huh? Ah. Mm-hmm. Oh. But there's like one guy at the center of it mm-hmm. there's there's a lead actor there's a, a star yeah. at the center grossed 209 million fuck oh my god 209 million before domestic. 1990 no, no, domestic no no no, 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 no. see you asked was this movie series made before 1990 i oh. said no yeah oh okay so the series started before 1990 but it's continued after that no, and no, no, that's no, no. it mm. All you asked was whether or not it had started or whether or not the movie right. came out before 1990. Mm-hmm. The answer to both, the answer is no, it did not come out before 1990. Okay, I gotcha, I gotcha, I gotcha. Oh, shit, man. Damn it. I think you've stumped me on this one, man. Yeah, what is great. it? You giving up? <laughs> I'm giving up. Fast five, bitch. Oh, yes! no! <laughs> oh, no! Wait, so so The Rock works for diplomatic security <laughs> services? Yes. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yes, he does. Luke Hobbs, who is an agent of the U.S. Diplomatic Security Service. He has, like, a special ops beard, and he's covered in baby oil. You're yep. telling me he's a diplomat? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he looks like he only sees foreign dignitaries <laughs> through the scope of his sniper rifle, right. dude. <laughs> what the hell? Wow. Oh, Nicely done. You Nicely done. You played yourself. See, I was thinking it started before 1990. That's okay. Well, that's why I had I to correct you, you, just in case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Still, though. Well this was done. a challenging one. All well right. done, sir. All right, all right. Uh, let's do one more. I'm, uh, I'm no, down. No, I'm no, down in the hole. So let's no, do one more. Nope. This is come no, on. Nope, come nope. on. One more. No, one more. No, one more. you bald baby. <laughs> no, you get no more. Oh man, I'm out at one. Without at one. <laughs> all right, that was a pretty good one though. That was pretty good. Damn it. We're never gonna have an opportunity to do this again. Name that You're movie. S- come he's on. Crying come on, oh, he's man. Come on, listeners. He's whining. No. Give this kid his pacifier. You can get one more. No, Come no. on. Just it doesn't re- take I that know. much. The, no. bra- the brain power is all on my side. All and of the brain energy is being used up over I'm here. And that's why I'm not doing it because this is all about your ego. That's oh all this is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is all your ego. Well, you uh, <laughs> you took me down a peg with this one, man. I you sure really did. did. Mm-hmm. Nicely done. Thank you. You know, I just watched all those fucking movies for the first time before Fast 9. Ugh. Just blanked on it, man. Completely. Okay. I, I think it was. I think it was the Rock being a diplomat. That was really, <laughs> really <my> stumbling block. <laughs> yeah. He's all diplomatic right. security service. All right. That is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, man, 
I guess that's that then. <laughs> um, thank you listeners so much for checking this out. We hope you enjoyed it. You can email us questions at goatseasonpod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. I also just want to thank Janice O'Leary for our artwork. I want to thank Josh Sullivan for our intro music and Battlequake for our outro. And we will be back next week with your regularly scheduled season one Sopranos episode back into the goat season with episode nine, Boca. It's going to be a barn burner. Absolutely. <laughs> Let your kids listen. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, man, it's it's always so great doing a pod with you. Seriously, For sure, man. it's the best. It's good stuff. All right. Uh, I'm going to go edit this fucker. <laughs> Peace. See you chumps later. Peace. Peace. <laughs>